On July 2nd, two champions collide. The best in this damn business. He is walking Armageddon. Walking Armageddon. Lashley. Lashley. I will die in this very same ring. He is the pride of Mexico. El Patron. This is my cause! An event 15 years in the making. Impact Wrestling presents Slam Aversary. Live July 2nd, only on pay per view. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the Two Man Power Trip. Oh my God, this is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the Prince of Pro Wrestling, and you are listening to Two Man Power Trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the Boogie Woogie Man. Tell my people, my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there, this is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Present my personal close good friend, Brother Love. Thank you. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart, I would like to publicly thank my very good, dear. Close personal friend, Brother Brain, for granting Brother Love the opportunity to bring to you a message. The message that I bring to you today is a message of love. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. This is the 
two-man power trip of wrestling, and you are listening to episode number 278 of the two-man power trip of wrestling podcast, a podcast that you can download two times a week from any of the places you get your podcast from, whether it's iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, or Podomatic.com. You can catch two brand new original two-man power trip of wrestling interviews by subscribing to the show and getting them straight into your podcast inbox every single week. And now on Mondays, you can also head on over to irwnetwork.com and you can download and stream the brand new Triple Threat podcast featuring the two-man power trip of wrestling and the one and only franchise Shane Douglas. And that is exclusively over at irwnetwork.com. And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I am joined by my tag team partner, the one and only John Paz, and we continue today a theme that's going to finish out the rest of the week as we welcome in from Impact Wrestling, a guy who's mastered the podcast world, and he's made an, a triumphant return to Impact Wrestling. The one and only Bruce Pritchard joins us today. And he's here to talk about Slammiversary on July 2nd, live on pay-per-view, featuring some gigantic matches in this rebirth of Impact Wrestling, including the big Alberto El Patron versus Bobby Lashley match. And as heard on the last episode of the two-man power trip, James Storm versus EC3 in a brutal, brutal strap match. And I cannot wait for Slammiversary. This is the first time in a long time I can honestly say the hype for a pay-per-view has gotten me really excited. And this episode here with Bruce Pritchard is going to get you even more jazzed up as we talk the revival of Impact Wrestling. We talk about a lot of the changes that have been made. But we also talk about the impact that Bruce Pritchard has had on not only Impact Wrestling, but the professional wrestling media over the last year or so, as his podcast, Something to Wrestle With, featuring Bruce Pritchard and his host con- co-host, Comrade Thompson, has literally taken over the wrestling podcast world, as I'm sure every single one of our subscribers probably already knows. You're probably subscribed to that show, or if you're not, you've definitely heard an episode or two, because he's taken a different approach to the podcast, singling out moments and singling out uh, people and situations and doing literally one, two, three hour shows based off of that topic or that content. And that I feel really has just revived the wrestling podcast medium. And it's given a lot of people a lot of cool opportunities to explore different topics. And you see kind of similar shows coming out like Tony Schiavone's show. And you see now even with us, I mean, with fr- the franchise on our Triple Threat podcast, you know, we're going to be planning on singling out some very distinct moments in the franchise's career. And I see there's an audience for that rather than just, you know, the regular banter back and forth, talking about what's going on in the business, maybe taking fan questions. There's so many different ways you can go about it. But Bruce Pritchard's definitely been in the uh, driver's seat as it comes to where the podcast world is going. And that's uh, very cool to see. And obviously, Impact Wrestling saw the, quote, impact that his podcast has had and has brought him back to television. But obviously, that's not a bad guy to have at your TV. Being the right-hand man of Vince McMahon for nearly 25 years, Bruce Pritchard has done it all and seen it all, and he's had every single position you could possibly think of in professional wrestling, whether it was a ring announcer or a color commentator or 
a play-by-play commentator or a creative writer or an on-air character or a producer. He's literally done everything there is to do, and this is a phenomenal, phenomenal chat where he just dives into every aspect of his career. And John, as I get to welcome you in here now, why don't you talk a little bit more about some of those instances where Bruce Pritchard gave us some of those uh, inside stories to uh, Mr. McMahon, talks about Impact Wrestling, the changes being made there. There's so much to cover, but why don't you hit us with a little bit of the highlights and some of the things we have to look forward to in this lovely interview with Bruce Pritchard. Yes, Chad, two-man power trip is doing it again, and we're doing big things. And obviously, we're welcoming in today the number one guy in the podcast game, something to wrestle with. Yes, Bruce Pritchard, formerly known as Brother Love. And this was over an hour with the man, the myth, the legend. So an awesome amount of time, great amount of detail that we were able to go through in this interview. And obviously, you know, speaking of being the the podcast king, you know, the the man on the throne right now, we went, you know, into depth, into detail, into something to wrestle with, his great podcast that obviously you can find over at MLW or, you know, wherever you want to kind of search it out, iTunes, whatever you want to do, you're going to be able to find something to wrestle with and you're going to see that it is the number one podcast. Obviously, we are in the podcast game as well, so I could say, uh, you know, we're we're up there. I know we're not number one. We're we're up there. We're not quite at Bruce's level. Hopefully, we will get there someday. But interviews like this and him being able to come on our show and go into awesome details and give some great stories will help us get to uh, some some level. I don't know where I ever get to quite at Bruce's level with you know a million downloads each week. But uh, you know maybe maybe someday. But anyway, I would uh, if you if you haven't yet and if you want to, of course. But I would highly suggest going over to something to wrestle with checking out that podcast check out the monday night wars episode check out my favorite like we talked about in the interview the lex express episode check out all the details on vince and him obviously being the right hand man to vince for a very very long time and bruce had a 22 year run in the wwe obviously we're going to get some great brother love stories some great you know behind the scenes brother love stories that i have quite honestly never heard before so awesome to get it here get the little scoop on our show and be able to do that here you know and of course you get some great stuff on Cornette you get some great stuff on Russo you get some great stuff on Bischoff and we kind of get his uh, you know his viewpoint of what he thinks of all those guys and what he thinks of all those guys kind of reacting to his podcast and reacting to his stories on them mostly positive uh, you got to be honest but there are some negatives and we do go into that as well, I don't want to, you know, kill the topic or go too much into it, but definitely keep an ear open for that. That's a very, very fun topic when we get into. But of course, the reason why he was on the show today, Impact Wrestling Slammiversary, Sunday, July 2nd, only on pay-per-view. And this is hopefully going to, you know, bring back TNA, aka Impact Wrestling, to prominence. This will be the rebirth, looking to make Impact Wrestling great again and I think with Bruce Pritchard in his current role, helping them out, more of an advisor, more of a consultant role, and obviously as an on-air personality as well. But I think with what he's been bringing to the media game, I think he can really help bring to Impact and really help Jeff Jarrett and Dutch and the guys over at Impact Wrestling become great again. Because there was a point in time when Impact, formerly known as TNA, 
was at the top of their game. They were on a roll, you know, whether it be uh, Sting versus Smoke Joe or Sting versus Kurt Angle or Angle versus Joe. I mean, however you want to slice it, there was some great stuff going on in Impact Wrestling, and I hope that Bruce can bring them back to prominence. I feel like after this pay-per-view, after Slammiversary, after July 2nd, we will see them go through a rebirth, if you will, and Bruce goes in-depth into not only Slammiversary, but into Impact Wrestling, the roster. We talk about the whole gamut. So don't forget Slammiversary, July 2nd, only on pay-per-view, and it's a biggie. Bobby Lashley versus El Patron, EC3 versus James Storm in a strap match, and so much more. So keep your eyes open for that, and keep your ears open for the legend himself, Bruce Pritchard, telling some epic stories to the two-man power trip. Absolutely. Bruce Pritchard is definitely in the driver's seat, like I said, for the wrestling podcast world. And with him on board at Impact Wrestling, things are only going to get better. And Impact has indeed been made great again. And that campaign couldn't be any more true as Slammiversary is approaching on July 2nd, only on pay-per-view. Head on over to impactwrestling.com to find out more about the matches being signed, as well as all the cool things going on with the Slammiversary weekend. 15 years of Impact Wrestling. Hard to believe, but you know what? They've done a great job to stay above water, and they've always found a way to maintain that they are a force in professional wrestling. And we want to thank Bruce Pritchard again for coming on. And obviously, like I said, you guys all probably either subscribe or have listened to Something to Wrestle With and continue to support Bruce Pritchard in his podcast endeavors. And obviously, we'd love to have him back down the line. But, Bruce, thank you so much for coming on. And get ready because, John, you're going to hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business. And get it on over to brother love himself, Mr. Bruce Pritchard. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at two-man power trip and at wrestling pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno Sammartino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rose, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Buff Bagwell, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, TMPTOfWrestling.com. And if you're on Android, please check us out on Google Play or Player FM. Follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017 as we hit the road and we come to a town near you. Monroe, New Jersey on June 10th. Keyport, New Jersey on June 10th. Then we head on down to New Kent, Virginia on July 15th for the Crockett Cup. Then follow us down to Philadelphia where we hit the Icons Collectors Fest at the 2300 Arena. So please follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017 because you never know where we may land.
without any further ado, the man formerly known as a Brother Love, and now known as the Podcast King. He's the expert. He's Vince's right-hand man. He had a 22-year run in the WWE. Now he is the host of the number one podcast, Something to Wrestle With. He is Bruce Richard. Please enjoy. on the line tonight is somebody we are absolutely thrilled to be kind of crossing over with here on the two-man power trip of wrestling but we're here to talk about a great tna pay or excuse me impact wrestling pay-per-view in just a minute here but i gotta welcome him in watch him on many a saturday mornings in his brother love persona he's a podcast king now he's an expert he is the one and only from something to wrestle with bruce pritchard thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling well, guys, thank you so much for having me. It is indeed my pleasure. Oh, it's so cool to have you, especially to talk about this Impact Wrestling Slammiversary 15th anniversary pay-per-view on July 2nd. We've been hyping it up on the show. We've been talking about it like crazy. We love the buzz that is going around Impact Wrestling as we speak. But I guess first things first is what do you think about Slammiversary and the 15th anniversary of TNA coming up here on July 2nd? I got to tell you, I'm more excited looking at Slammiversary is the first day of the rest of Impact Wrestling's life versus looking back on the last 15 years of TNA. I think that it's simply a great history. A lot of people didn't think that they would last 15 years, but it's more of a launching pad to go forward for another 15 years, and that's the exciting part. That's a, that's a great point because, yeah, 15 years of impact or TNA, and like I keep saying, TNA, it's going to take a while to get used to that and calling it impact full-time here, but nobody expected 15 years. And the fact that it always managed to stay above water and it managed to hang on and really continue is a testament to everybody. It's a testament to the crew, the production, the wrestlers, the fans. It's a team effort here, but with your return to impact is definitely a lot of buzz around it. But with Slammiversary, I just want to stick on that for one more second here because it's got to be one of the biggest cards that Impact as a company has ever put out. And with the main event of Lashley and El Patron, and then you got other matches like James Storm and EC3 in a strap match, obviously the talent is there. Obviously the matches are there. But what do you think the fans can expect at Slammiversary? Man, I think that they can expect a lot of action. I think they're going to expect a lot of first. And so it's it's a culmination. It, it's, it's the big show, man. And it's one where finally it's on pay-per-view. There's a lot of scores that are going to be settled. And if you had to pick one, I think that the one I'm most excited about has got to be Lashley and Patron. Oh, there's so much. There's controversy surrounding their feud. 
Uh, two really uh, El Patron being an outspoken guy, Lashley being a uh, speak strongly or speak softly but carry a big stick kind of persona on him. But you know your involvement and in everything has been, I think, one of the more intriguing parts of this Impact revival because nobody expected you to show up in Impact Wrestling, and obviously. You know, us being in the the podcast world, we know how you're dominating the podcast world. I mean, you can't blink without hearing about your show or hearing something else going on, some other, you know, weird story going on with something to wrestle with. But what about your return to Impact? How have you felt about the love you've gotten from the wrestling fans in your return to TV? Absolutely incredible. You know, it's funny. When we started, uh, my partner Conrad Thompson and I, when we started the podcast, Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard, I, I kind of laughed at it and said, man, nobody wants to listen to me talk for three minutes, much less three hours. And the response has been overwhelming. And from that response came the invitation to come and kind of help out at Impact Wrestling and consult with them and be an on-air character for these guys and, and have some fun. And i got to tell you that it's a lot more than I bargained for, and I'm having an absolute blast. But the response has been incredible thus far. Now, I was a fan of your original podcast that you did when you first left WWE about, what, 2011, 2010, 2011? Yeah, uh, actually 2009-2010 is how long ago that was. And correct me if I'm wrong, believe it was also something to wrestle with, correct? It was on the original Web Talk Radio with uh, Brian Saul, who's since passed. But, yeah, it was it was one of the first. Yeah, and I, I definitely remember that, and that was one of the first shows that you got more of that inside look, somebody who was there right on the right hand, uh, the right hand man of one of the, uh, the, the main people to ever uh, be in the business, uh, quite possibly the biggest to be in the business, but... With you and the podcast and what you've done for people in the podcast world by getting on back onto Impact is something that I think personally is something great because you're now bringing the podcast out into the mainstream because, look, podcasts are interviewing presidents uh, of countries. They're interviewing celebrities. But now you're as a podcast host as well coming to television. Do you feel that you felt that uh, responsibility of bringing now the podcast into the mainstream of professional wrestling? Well, it's pretty cool, and it's something that, frankly, I have just learned about in the last probably 12 months. So to be able to bring that element to the screen and be able to have people go, okay, hey, where where can I get a little bit more of this and go check out some podcasts? Because to me, the beautiful thing about podcasting is simply that you you can listen to it anytime you want, you can enjoy it whenever you want, and you get to something, you got to go do something else, you can pause it and pick it right back up where you ended it. So that is something that I found to be really pretty damn cool <laughs> in that respect because, we're, shit, we're doing, we're doing three-hour shows. And people listen to us, you know, they have a 30-minute commute to work, and they can listen to us all week long and get a show until we're ready to drop another one. But you can you can listen. There's so much uh, variety out there, and there's a lot of great podcasts out there that, that I share with, that uh, guys I talk to all the time, and I, I think it's a great medium. Now it's awesome. And, uh, you know, everybody does something different. I mean, we just stick to straight interviews. We don't do any real current talk we like to get the career stories out there and kind of dig deep but with you guys you do something that has now changed the the podcast world in another realm is that you guys examine 
an event or you pick a, a person and you really just spend that three hours on that. And I think that that's very cool. And that has now started a trend of people doing the same thing. Have you noticed that you guys really have been trendsetters with this uh, emphasis on one singular event or one singular topic rather than just be like a hodgepodge, you know, on one show? Well, the crazy thing about it is, is you, you know, you bring that up and say, oh, hey, it's trendsetting all this. Strictly came out of laziness on my part. I did not, I did not want to try and chase down 52 guests a year. And my my co-host was like, yeah, we don't have to do that, man. We can just uh, pick a period and you talk about it. So that's what we've done. And so many of my conversations with people would always start with, hey, what happened when? And they'd give me a, an example of something. And I would then start telling stories. And that, that's how the idea of the podcast even came up. So... Yeah, different people are doing it. I, I think that the unique uh, aspect of our show is that there's really not that many people who have been at the right hand of Vince McMahon for 22-plus years and been involved in that mix and you know that perspective for as long as I did. And then... Beyond that, the years that I that I spent before I even went to New York with Paul Bosch and Bill Watts and, and the greats of the wrestling business, uh, being able to sit under the learning tree, if you will, uh, just kind of gives a different, a little bit different perspective. And there's not a lot of people that that have shared that. And there are some folks that have other perspectives in, in different uh, different companies and done different things that I think that if they were to come out and share those stories would be gold. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Paul Bosch, you mentioned Bill Watts, obviously Vince McMahon, the eras, you want to talk about the Federation era, the Attitude era, the, the uh, new generation, the Ruthless Aggression era. I mean, you were there for everything, for 25 years, right there, front row seat, on-air character, backstage worker, creative right. I mean, every single thing you could think of. You were there for him doing this show and picking out these topics. Has there been one thing that you were kind of surprised that people wanted to hear more about? Because you guys pick a lot of iconic events, and I love when there's one of those doozies thrown in, you know, those little uh, little nuances that maybe the more hardcore fans think of. But has there been one topic that you were surprised the fans took to as much as they did? Houston Wrestling. To to be able to to go back and tell my story of breaking into the wrestling business and be able to to talk about you know growing up in the wrestling business as a kid and the different experiences and personalities that I was exposed to was simply something that uh, I self uh, again selfishly wanted to get out, but I didn't really fathom the number of people that would be that interested in it. And it's turned out to be one of our most downloaded shows and one that we get uh, the majority of the comments on. Just And, and it's, it's, it's spawned off some really incredible things that, that I'll be able to talk to at, at a later date as well. But um, it's that part really kind of blew me away that people were that interested in, in my background and that interested in the nostalgia of the wrestling business the way it was in the territory days. Uh, i got to be honest with you, one of my first memories when I first started watching back in 1987 was uh, it, 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 I, some kind of uh, WWF at the, uh, at the summit 
where you're doing the commentary. I believe it was a it was a Hogan DiBiase match. Maybe it was even early '88, but you're doing the commentary for that Houston event, and that's something that I'll never forget because your ties to Houston wrestling and obviously with Paul Bosch and the, and the WWF at that point uh, coming in and taking over uh, in, in 1987, just such a cool piece of history, and I really love to hear that the fans have taken uh, to that episode because that, again, we've always emphasized it on this show, those are the things that I think today's fans want to know about is the stuff they don't know about and Houston wrestling, obviously, is a topic that uh, needs to be exploited a lot more. Yeah, and it, it's it's funny, you know, you, you mentioned that, and, and that was something I, I remember being on a plane with Vince McMahon, and, and he looked at me and says, uh, so have you uh, done much talent work? And I said, oh, no, sir, no, I've, I, I don't do any talent work. He says, but you did all the, I said, I, yeah, I just do the interviews, and, and I've done a little bit of color, but I've never done any talent work. He said, Bruce, that's a talent. I said, oh, okay. Um, it was like, so you produce the television shows. Oh, no, I don't produce the TV shows. I just kind of write them and put them together and make sure everything gets done. That's what a producer does. Uh, I was a kid. I didn't know. I wasn't big on titles and, and never really had any formal training. I was just thrown into positions, and I was uh, – the first one to raise my hand and want to go to the TV studio to learn how the show was put together and to throw out ideas, and, and they actually used them. And then I just started formatting the show, and, and I look back, being a kid, I was 12 years old, and I was timing out the show. And if, you, if you've ever uh, timed out TV or, or radio or anything like that, and you're, you're working on a clock, you work in increments of 60 most people work in increments of 10, we, just the way our brain works. And it screwed me up in school because, I, to me, 60 equaled one. 60 seconds, 60 minutes, all that equaled one minute, one hour. And most people think of in, in tens and hundreds. And so it was, you know, it's just one of those little tidbits that my mind works differently. And I, I think of everything, you know, in hours and minutes. And sixty second blocks, so it's it's um, just a different way to look at life, and and that's screwed me up growing up because when I did math, I did it in sixty second increments. <laughs> oh, that's great. We also uh, would love to thank you for all those many years of uh, hard work of timing out those shows and uh, and getting them ready for uh, for on air uh, distribution and consumption, but. Just sticking with the podcast one more time, and we're not going to dwell on this, and we're not going to hit on anything uh, remotely negative uh, at all. But obviously, there's a huge controversy with you guys right now in the show. But you know, not not to address or anything, but like, how do you avoid getting into something like this? Because you know, when you have people that have podcasts out there, a lot of people want to chirp. But you, with so much experience in the business, how do you avoid? you know, the negativity that people might throw your way? Because obviously, if it's done for their own exposure or what, you know, how do you get around actually having to, uh, you know, be a part of uh, controversy or, uh, you know, some kind of negative feelings from another show? I try to stay. I, I, I don't listen to the negative, and I don't dwell on the negative. And when I see and I have a lot of that thrown my way, I ignore it, and I move on. You know, life is too short. It, it's funny. I was I was talking to Jeff Jarrett earlier tonight, and, and I started laughing. I said, man, I'm 54 years old, and I've had a few heart attacks, and I'm so happy to be healthy right now, and I'm so blessed to be doing what I'm doing. And, and to dwell on negative – 
it just takes too much energy and too much time. So I'll leave that for everybody else, and I'm just going to continue doing what I do. And what we do on our show, it's from my perspective. It's from my viewpoint. So anybody wants to challenge that, you can challenge it all day long. You're not going to win because it's not it's not your viewpoint. Um, it's simply my viewpoint and what I remember, how I remember it, and how it affected me. People say, well, how do you remember uh, what happened at, at this point? Or how do you remember um, this specific thing? It's because of how that specific thing, that specific conversation, or that specific moment in time affected me in a certain way. And it's got a place in my memory. So I may not remember what two other people said or or how something else was, but I definitely, for the most part, if it affected me and and it meant something to me, then I have a recollection of it from my viewpoint. Anybody else, they're entitled to their own viewpoint. But when um, something is just strictly factually wrong, um, I will, you know, I'll call it out and I'll I'll call BS on it. Because, again, there there's so many people. I love it when, when people take credit for, you know, Steve Austin or The Rock or Mick Foley or The Undertaker or anybody else. The people that deserve the credit for those talents is the talent themselves. Um, I, I look at Steve Austin. I, I look at Undertaker, uh, um, The Rock. All of those guys took an idea and they took something and they made it their own. And they made it larger than life. So the human beings behind those characters, to me, are the ones that deserve the credit. Because you can take the same ideas the same words, the same everything, same production and everything else. And maybe another person would not have been able to pull it off as well as they have. So no matter what, it, it for me, talent is talent, and without them, there is no business. So you have to look at the talent inside the ring and the guys that are performing. Those are the true stars, and those are the people that I believe and always have that deserve the credit. If I could just stay on something to wrestle with for a second, because I talked to somebody, a friend of yours, who obviously he's in the podcast game as well, and I said, you know, what kind of numbers does you know Bruce do on that show? Because it's so popular, and you see whatever, and he told me the numbers, and I like my mouth chopped. Like, oh my god, like that's crazy. That's like um, you know uh, Adam Carolla numbers and like guys like that. I mean, you're like you're, it's crazy. So it's almost like there's other shows and other guys out there. It's almost like the wrestling business. How could they get over? They almost want to say, oh, look at Bruce Pritchard. Let's try to knock him down a peg. Do you ever notice that with the podcast game? It's almost getting almost very close to the wrestling business where somebody else is, is you're, you know, somebody else is trying to get you to put them over? It's, it's getting there. You know, it's, it's funny. Like I said before, a year ago, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. I, I would have laughed at you if you would have said to me, yeah, you're going to do a podcast and, and you're going to be doing almost a million downloads a week of people listening to your stuff. And um, you're going to be here. It, it's crazy. Um, we got nominated. There's actually an Academy of Podcast Awards. which is like the Academy Awards podcast. And we got nominated for Best Sports Podcast after eight months in the game, and all of the people that are in it are all ESPN uh, sports analysts. 
and then something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. And I just shake my head going, how in the hell did all this happen? But it's, I can't explain it. It's absolutely insane to me. And we just we just did a deal with a company by the name of Midroll. There's two big dogs in the podcast game. There's uh, Podcast One, and then there's Midroll. And Podcast One and Midroll both came after me with uh, guns blazing. And Midroll just offered me a much better deal than Podcast One. And I'm not knocking anything on Podcast One. It's just I simply, for me, uh, the better company at the time was um, Midroll. And when they came back and gave us the data, we were floored because it was better than we thought. <laughs> and it's I got it's extremely humbling because. I told Conrad when we started this, I don't think that there's three people that would want to listen to me for three minutes, much less um, as many that download us every week that want to listen to me for three hours. And it blows my mind, and it's humbling, and, and we're doing these live shows out on the road. And to to step out and see a packed house of people that are there to see Brother Love and the Mortgage Guy just <laughs> blows my mind. It absolutely. We we had 300 people in St. Louis on Sunday, and it's it's absolutely crazy. But it's 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 humbling, and um, I I still to this day, whether it's on Impact or whether it's doing a uh, podcast or doing a live show, to this day I still get butterflies in my stomach before I walk out. Still have that that queasiness in my stomach, and I, I'm still nervous. And I it hope is. I hope that never goes away. That's a good sign. Though. I mean, that means you're still kind of enjoying it, and you like what you're doing. And I always say to people, like, you, you'll probably never get a, a Vince McMahon book, or you probably never get like a Vince McMahon podcast. So why not go to the guy who was you know his right hand man for 22 years? And get some of those stories from a different perspective, not really from the, from the boss role per se, but from that behind the scenes role. Is that kind of you know a real great selling point for you? It's almost like, hey, I was here for this, this, and this, and here you know here's my story, and people kind of have been really gravitating towards that. Yeah, it is, and and it's to me, it's just such an intriguing story because. The truth is so much better than fiction. And the only narrative that people have had for so many years is one from the dirt sheets from people that never worked actively in the business and never experienced a lot of things. They got their information secondhand, and a lot of times that information was skewed depending upon who was giving it to them at the time. So that's been the only narrative that a lot of hardcore fans that's all they've ever been exposed to because no one on the inside, we didn't have podcasts. We didn't have, uh, you know, the opportunity to give our side and, and never wanted to. But, you know, I looked at it like I'm not working in the business. I'm not there. Um, what have I got to lose? And I had a good time. I had a great time. I had a great run. And when people talk about they and they talk about, oh, boy, that, that was a horrible idea or that was a great idea, I was they. I was a part of they. <laughs> and for so long, it was me, Vince McMahon, and Pat Patterson. Um, so to be able to tell that other side and stand up and say, well, wait a minute. You know what? 
Um, Vince Hidden, the devil. Sometimes he can be. He's got a close relationship with him. But <laughs> you know what? <laughs> the guy was pretty damn good to me. And I, I can't I can't begrudge that. I'm not going to sit there and say, I lived a terrible life for 22 years. All those bastards, they screwed me. Who's the dumbass that I stayed there for 22 years and got screwed and I was mistreated all those years? I wasn't. I had a great run and I had a whole hell of a lot of fun. I, and I look back, you know, I mean, the, the largest downloads I've ever had was the episode I did on TNA, which I kind of ripped the lid off of that. But what people also miss about that, too, was, man, I, I also had a great time working with the talent. I had a fun time creatively working with that set of talent during my time there. The administrative end of it was pretty damn crazy. And it's probably why I enjoy what I'm doing right now with Impact, because I'm removed from that administrative end of things. And I'm removed from having to deal with the day-to-day headaches that encompass running a company. I come in, I do my job, and I go home. They ask me what I think, and I give them my opinion, and I'm happy to. So it's it's a it's a refreshing refreshing time for me because I can be a talent, and I can just go out and do my thing. And it's great to see kind of all the different aspects of not only something to wrestle with, but you know Bruce Pritchard, the character, but also kind of the behind-the-scenes guy, all these different roles that you had, and now kind of obviously more in a, in a consultant role and on-air role. But if I could, Ken, just rewind for a second. Now, with Vince McMahon, obviously, in the WWF, there's a great story with you and, and the Brother Love character and kind of how that came to be. What was you know the original Brother Love character supposed to be, and how did you kind of basically come up with that, that quote-unquote, that gimmick? Growing up in the South, I was exposed to a lot of televangelists. I was exposed to a lot of tent preachers, I used to call them, that would uh, set up shop in front of the local Baptist church. And I used to go in, and, and we would we would go and listen to these guys because they always had a show. They always had a band. They always had you know, tambourines and a lot of singing and, and a lot of fire and brimstone and holier-than-thou hallelujahs. And I... I looked at it from a very young age um, that my perception of organized religion was was somewhat of a sham. Now, I'm not saying Christianity or religion in and of itself is a sham. I'm saying that the organized religion as a whole, that it could be very contradictory. Um, I I used to laugh at, at my girlfriend's father was a Jehovah's Witness, and he would tell you know try and bring me there and i said richard tell me man what makes you different than the catholics or the baptists because all we all we do is read the bible and then we we talk about it i said and you read the same bible that they do yep so you read the same bible the baptists do you read the same bible that the catholics do that the lutherans do that the methodists do so why can't i just do the same thing and interpret it however the hell i want to because the Catholics see, see it differently than the Baptists. The Baptists see it differently than the Lutherans. The Lutherans see it differently than the Methodists, and so on and so forth. So it just amazed me. Everybody thinks they're right. Um, so anyway, growing up, uh, I was exposed to a lot of that, and, and kind of an alter ego I had was a fire and brimstone preacher. And I used to watch Robert Tilton's Success in Life, and Robert Tilton would talk about how 
if you have faith, and you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're down on your luck, and all you have is one dollar, I'm going to tell you what you do. Send me 75 cents. Send me to show me your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you what you do. You've only got a quarter left. That's going to force you to go on out and earn some more money. You're going to get $2. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to send me a dollar fifty of that to show your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to show you what's going to happen. All of a sudden, you've got 50 cents. You're going to go out. You're going to work hard. You're going to find yourself a $5. Send me $2.50 of that. My friends, you have more than doubled your money. That is what I call success in life. And you can just apply that to your life. And I'm sitting there listening to this guy. One o'clock in the morning, thinking, this is the greatest pitch I've ever heard. But it was so full of shit. I hope I can say that on here. Sorry. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But, uh, and I just, I, I, I would mimic him, and I, I would go into this. And I used to do it in the car all the time, and Vince and I, we would always laugh and say, hey, if anything ever, the wrestling business goes belly up, we're going to pitch a tent and go make some real money. Um, <laughs> and one day, I, I get him off to the side, and I said, hey. I got an idea. Uh, Southern evangelist, televangelist, heel, that does a talk show. And I did the whole thing for him. He goes, I love it. Find me somebody to do it. And I was heartbroken. I said, I'm the guy. I can do it. And I uh, was just, I, he says, no, nah, Bruce, you can't do it with that face. I said, I'm not going to use this face. I'm going to slick my hair back. I'm going to wear glasses. i got a suit. i got all this. Stuff. He goes, no, pal, can't do it. So about two, three days later, um, he's in his office. He's having a meeting with the CFO and the head of international. And I called over to his secretary. I said, hey, is he busy? He says, he's in a meeting. I said, but he's there. I said, yeah, and I walked in in the middle of the meeting. I had no idea how heated this meeting was or really what it was about at the time. But I was all done up as brother love. And I went in and I slapped my hand on the desk and I went into a sermon. I laid hands on the CFO and the international guy. I even laid hands on Vince and behaved. And I walked out of the office, slammed the door, and my office was in a different uh, they were at 1055 Summer Street. And my office was at 120 Hamilton. And I just went down and got in my car and drove back to the studio. When I got back and I walked up and my secretary looked at me and said, what did you do? I said, why? He says, Vince has called twice. I want you to call him as soon as you get in. And I pick up the phone and I call in and I get a secretary. I said, is he pissed? He says, he wants to talk to you. Put me through. He says, all right. I want to see it on camera. I want the studio set up. I want a pink drape. I want to see you in the gimmick 100%, and we're going to do a screen test. And the rest, as I say, is history. That is an unbelievable story because not a lot of people have the balls to do that to Vince, and especially you know, kind of playing it up and doing the healing thing where you have to touch him and all that other stuff. Were you nervous with that, those two phone calls? Were you kind of shitting your pants? Scared and, to uh, death. Probably fired. Scared to death. Because when you walk in, I, I could tell it was a fairly tense meeting. But I was in. So I could have turned around and walked out, and they all would have gone, what the hell was that? Or I could break up this little meeting, give them something else to talk about for a minute, and buy time for... <laughs> for Doug and Jimmy Troy, but um, I just went for it, and it was a different time in a different place. And and I, God, I was 
25 years old. Um, and I didn't care. You know, I didn't have a whole lot to lose. I had a different relationship with Vince that, you know, it, it was also a lot of fun-loving stuff. So I figured if he hated it, he would laugh at it and go, oh, my God, you won't believe what Bruce did. Um, but I really wanted it. I really, I really wanted it bad, and I just kind of jumped out there and said, "You know what? Um, I'm going to do it," and it paid off. So the and then and then the probably one of the hardest things that I ever had to do. Now imagine this is 1988, and people that were in the business then will understand what I'm talking about, but but people that from the late 90s on, they would laugh and go, oh, they do that all the time. But we didn't rehearse things back in 1988. We didn't, he didn't have talent meetings. He didn't rehearse things in front of people. You know, you talked about it in the back, you went out and did it. Well, on my debut, Vince called all of the talent into the arena and had them all sitting in the arena in the stands and made me come out and rehearse oh, well. the first three Brother Loves that I did in front of the talent and all the agents. So here I am in my white suit, my little red face, and I've never done this before. I'm scared to death as it is. And I've got to do it in front of the entire roster. I got to do it in front of Chief J. Strongbow and Gorilla Monsoon and Pat and Vince and everybody. And Vince is making comments to Morocco and uh, Valentine, and I'm like, oh, God, I'm dying a thousand deaths. But I did it. And once I knew that if I could get through that, that the rest of it would be easy. And uh, Bobby Heenan was there, and Bobby helped me through the whole damn thing so much. Just, you know, screw them. Just go out and do it. Own them. If you can do this, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be gold tonight. And I did and which is amazing and so much pressure kind of thrown on you and thrown into that situation. Now with the red face and that classic voice and the, I love you, is that all you or is that Vince and you kind of collaborating or, you know, or is this kind of, is all brother love a hundred percent Bruce? I would say that it's 98% Bruce and 2% Vince. He tweaked it. He tweaked it and he fine tuned it. The whole idea, because there was a, a fear of doing religion, and that fear was on on my part coming from the south. As you know, the Bible Belt, man, they're gonna they're gonna throw us up. And I said, I'm not gonna do religion. I'm gonna do love. So every time, instead of talking about God, I'm gonna talk about love. I won't carry a Bible. I'll have a book of love. So every time that you would refer to the good book or you'd refer to the Bible, I will refer to the book of love. And I'm not gonna, you know, er- everything is about love. It's not about God. And I just flipped the script on everything. Um, in Vince says to me, he goes, well, what's your name going to be? And I said, well, it's got to be Brother something. I said, it's not Brother Bruce. And he says, it's Brother Love. And Brother Love was born. And that was and that was a conversation that we had on a Sunday. And I kid you not, there was a, um, a gentleman on TV while I'm talking to him. And I told him, I said, turn to this channel. And it was a guy in a white suit and a red shirt and a white tie preaching his ass off. I said, that's the outfit. Because <laughs> the first outfit I wore on the screen test, that was all uh, just regular suit and stuff. But, 
yeah, that was born over a, a Sunday morning phone call, him calling me in the morning and, and saying, let's get this thing, let, let's do it, and let's figure it out. And an awesome part about Brother Love, besides the Brother Love show, was that that character, yes, it became you know the manager, the undertaker for you know for a brief period of time, but it was really the guy that was kind of setting up feuds, whether it was setting up Hogan and Bossman or Jake and Martell, or you know using DiBiase, that whole benefactor storyline, and really kind of getting him over at, you know as a big money guy and different things. You'd really feel like that character was very integral to a lot of storylines, and really it was a huge heat magnet. It, it was, and, and that was strictly, you know, a function of the show, and that was simply a function of being able to. I, yeah, I, I stole so much from Roddy Piper too. Um, I, I loved Roddy, and I loved the format of his show, and it was just a different avenue uh, for them to shoot angles versus having to shoot something in the ring, and it was a, a different interview segment and a way to do something without having to do it in the ring on the Brother Love Show. And it was so cool the way certain things happened on the Brother Love Show. And, you know, like Hogan kind of played a big part. And, and, you know, being a big Hogan fan when I was a kid, especially in that era, Brother Love was so hated. Did you feel that, you know, that character, basically, you couldn't go outside with the red paint, that the fans would kind of want to jump on you, they hated you, you had, you had so much heat at that point? You know what the beautiful thing was, was because of the makeup and because of the way that I did the hair. I could walk into the... My hair was was down below my shoulders, kind of in the middle of my back. And dry, all fluffy and, and out, I, I looked like someone completely different um, as Bruce. So <laughs> being, able, being able to walk out and, and walk into the building without people even knowing who the hell I was, and then I could get into my outfit and I could finish up for the night and roll back out and uh, people didn't know who the hell I was. So it was great for me because I, I didn't I didn't have that. I was able to be two different people and every once in a while someone would recognize me and come up and are you brother love? And I'd say yeah. And uh, then they'd think you know, look at me a second time because I don't sound like brother love but uh, just yeah, it was it was great because I could be two different people. I and could I could go out I could go out in the arena and and watch matches and no one knew. Hmm. Pretty crazy to think about it. And and another crazy thing, but a great thing with Brother Love is that you're almost like a, the trivia question and you're you're always especially now with Undertaker just recently retired as a WrestleMania like you're always going to be kind of brought up like oh who was his first manager when his debut <laughs> you know you know it's like when his debut started who was with him so it's always going to be brother love do you like being attached to undertaker like that and do you kind of foresee undertaker being one of the biggest stars of all time i, I would like to say yes but i i saw him as a huge star and somebody that would really be big i don't think that anyone really uh, anticipated the icon status that he's achieved, and you know that that's all him. And extremely proud of him, and I'm extremely proud to be associated with that legacy. That that is something I point to with pride, and uh, pretty happy to be a part of. And well, obviously, one major question that I think a lot of people ask, or, or probably would want to ask you, is 
you know, how do you gain Vince McMahon's trust and become his right-hand man for so long? Because if you think about it, like we mentioned, you're there for all those eras, but you're not just there, there. You know what I mean? You are playing a major role, a key cog in the wheel, writing, producing, helping Vince, playing a main character as well during most of that time. But how do you gain Vince's trust and become that right-hand man? Well, I'll tell you what he used to say was that there was nobody that disagreed with him more, which is is kind of funny because you know I think a lot of people would always like classify anybody that stayed there that long as a kiss ass. Um, I have a completely different viewpoint of the business than Vince does. A lot of things we share, uh, you know, similar. I, I think over the years we grew to kind of think the same way on some things, but for the most part, uh, I disagreed with him a lot, and I would disagree to him with his face, to his face, and we had a lot of knockdown dragouts. Uh, I learned through the years how to travel through those landmines of, of arguments, and, and uh, as Pat Patterson said to me one day, he goes, ah, you could be a little nicer and choose your words better and uh, incorporated the the two most important words in my vocabulary, which are what if, and instead of saying something sucks and your idea is horrible, to think about it for a minute, try it on, and offer an alternative, what if we did it this way, um, is a lot more palatable than that sucks. And once you, you learn that, and you're able to say, okay, I've listened to your idea. Uh, that's good. We could do that. But what if we tried it this way? Or what if we did something else? And have an alternative. It makes them think. And it, and it wasn't just your idea is terrible, my idea is great. It was, okay, you got something. So do I. Uh, hear me out. And that's kind of how the relation. I think that was a big turning point in in um, in how we communicated. But I always, uh, he never had to wonder where I stood on something. I, I would tell him point blank and didn't sugarcoat it most of the time. And obviously a guy like Vince is going to want somebody like that where if he wants a yes man, he can find it. There's probably no shortage of somebody who just wants to uh, make the chairman feel like he's uh, making the right decision, but he wants that guy to tell him that, you know, look, that is a good idea, but here's what I could maybe do to change that. But kind of relating it to what you're doing with Impact and and the role that you're in now, you know, do they seek you out for instances like that where maybe a couple people have an idea that needs a little ironing out, but they want somebody with maybe that more sensible look of the whole landscape? Is that now kind of what you're doing uh, more for Impact? They, they have, as a matter of fact, and, and uh, Jeff Jarrett in particular, and uh, I'm not shy about giving my opinion, but uh, I've, I have bit my tongue because it's not my ball. and You know what I mean? It's not my ball. It's not my roster. Um, but uh, when Jeff has come to me and asked me my opinion on things, I don't hold back, and I tell him exactly what I think um, because – Anybody anybody can sit there and say, yeah, man, no, that's the greatest idea I ever heard, and then go behind somebody's back and say, that really sucks. But I'll tell them uh, same, you know, same thing I've tried to do with everybody. I'll say, yeah, okay, um, that's one way to do it, but what if you tried it this way? How about this? Would this work? 
and using the same approach today that I learned way back then and um, not afraid to to step up and, and say, yes, that was good, or no, you know what, that didn't work. Uh, it's fascinating. I mean, it's absolutely, uh, it, it's such a, a, a deep look into the inner workings of how a successful company can be run is, uh, is having those decisions uh, to play off different people. But, you know, I'm talking about the relationship you had with Vince and bringing the brother love character to TV, taking him off TV for a little while there, a couple maybe little tweaks to other gimmicks in between, but bringing back Brother Love, was that Vince who wanted to bring back Brother Love, or would you bring that back to him and say, hey, maybe it's time we dust off the old uh, slick back hair and the uh, the white suit and let's get him back on TV? Usually it was, it was somebody else. Usually it was it was one of the writers. When, when, I, when I hung it up in whatever, 91, I never really thought about coming back. I I always looked at it as... He had a great run, and there were three and a half years where he was on every single television show every week. And no matter how good the character is, uh, that can be tedious. And he needed a rest, and he needed to go on the shelf. Um, I think, you know, there's a part of me that, that definitely wanted to come back with that character, but it had to be the right time and the right place. And and usually it was somebody else, hey, what if we did this and what if we did that? And I think in certain situations it worked. The last time that I did anything uh, was with The Undertaker coming out of a box. And uh, and to me that's one of the, the greatest Brother Love performances I ever did for a variety of reasons. Um, getting to work with The Undertaker in that role, adversarial. Um, and it was the first time that my kids ever got to see me on TV. And the beautiful thing about it was was I was traveling, and I was coming home the day that it was airing. And my kids were still small enough. They didn't understand the miracle of television. And I got home maybe two minutes after I had uh, been chokeslam and tombstone by the Undertaker, and I walk in the door with my bag, and they're like, "Daddy, how did you get from there to here?" <laughs> you know, and that was that was amazing. So that that I mean, that's again selfishly, that's that's what I remember about that and why it was so cool. That was a great segment, and that the crowd was legit shocked uh, when that happened, and I remember that very very distinctly. Uh, that when that box opened and that music hit, the expression on The Undertaker's face from the camera was something to be seen. But how about the expression on The Undertaker's face when you came out of the box and you're smiling big uh, big pearly whites right at the dead man? Oh, yeah, and then I jumped in his arms and refused to let go. And he, <laughs> just, and he just stood there and said, I ain't holding you. And I was like, damn. And I finally gave up. Now, the Brother Love, the Returns, there was a couple of them, one in 95, that I think was ill-fated. But i got to say, and this would be a great podcast uh, topic for you, and that is what Brother Love could have been on the original Monday Night Raws out of Manhattan in the Manhattan Center, because I think there's a lot of vignettes that could have taken place on the streets of New York City with Brother Love maybe uh, looking for a possible uh, new benefactor. Oh, my gosh, incredible. Uh, you know, we did with the... Uh the flying nuns, the the sisters of love, if you will. We we did vignettes of them walking out of St. Patrick's Cathedral, and 
actually walk them into a police precinct uh, in New York City and had them walk out so we could shoot it. And they, these were all running guns without permits. And here you got two men dressed as nuns and a guy in a white suit and red face, you know, walking around New York and walking in and out of St. Patrick's Cathedral and cameras going and walking into police precincts and then just turning around, walking out like I just bailed them out. Um, that was some crazy stuff, man. We had fun. And we actually we talked to both Chaz and Glenn from uh, you know the Sisters uh, of Love, aka the Headbangers, and they were talking about the run and gun and the fact that you guys were just doing all that stuff, uh, you know, no permits, just kind of getting the camera set, taking off uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral, these two guys in the nun costumes. But do you think the Sisters? Uh, and this is even weird to say this. Uh, my, I have to check my Catholic uh, faith here at the door. But do you think the Sisters of Love had legs with Brother Love at the helm? <laughs> I think it was a limited run at best. It was a nice gag, but I don't know that we could have sustained that beyond that late-night shotgun Saturday night format. That was something that was going to be exclusive to that late-night where we could get away with a little more than we could uh, in the day part. But, um, yeah, I don't know how long that one would have lasted. <laughs> Now, if I could just for a second kind of roll back the clock and just go back to Houston wrestling just for a second, because we had on um, uh, Bruce Tharp a couple times on the show, and we basically just talked Houston wrestling, and we talked about that video library, and we talked about, I guess it was NWA On Demand, or, or I guess it still is NWA on, on Demand, but all the different guys that went through Houston, and we kind of were just kind of, you know, shooting the breeze with him saying, oh, Flair went through. Uh, Jack Briscoe, uh, Harley Race, and like you kind of uh, Andre the Giant, and you kind of go through. Is Houston wrestling something that needs to be? I know it's preserved by Bruce Tharp and, and, and the NWA, but is Houston wrestling something that maybe needs to be on WWE Network and needs to be out there so maybe even more fans can kind of get their eye on it and kind of learn to enjoy how all these legends came in and out of Houston? Yeah, I think so. I think that you know it, it should be where people can truly enjoy it and and be able to see that there was you know wrestling other than the WWF that existed, and Houston was unique unto itself that it booked from a central booking office. But Paul Bosch, who was the promoter, was able to book talent, main talent from all over the world, to come in and just work Houston. Um, and he did that because he was a great payoff man and because he was a great promoter and he was a man of his word. So guys would come in from Bruiser Brody to superstar Billy Graham, Neil Moskras, like I said, Andre, um, all the world champions, and it was programmed just for that town. So you felt that Houston was the center of the wrestling universe. I was there on July 20th, 1973, when Jack Briscoe beat Harley Race for the NWA World Championship. And that, those were the days when the NWA title changed hands maybe once every four or five years. So that was historic for so many reasons. But, um, yeah, the greats of the greats all worked Houston and all came through there. So it was a it was a great time to be a wrestling fan. And I was fortunate enough to not just be a wrestling fan, but be a part of it and be involved in it. What do you think was kind of your favorite part part of Houston wrestling? I know obviously, you know, you like we talked about, you know, you saw whether you had to sell posters, you know, you're ten or twelve years old and you're kinda of 
working your way up or your ring announcing or whatever, what was your favorite aspect of being a part of Houston Wrestling? Well, I think that finally when – to be able to interact with the different bookers and, and to be able to just talk to some, the, the true greats. Uh, I, I remember Gary Hart being the first creative you know, man or genius – that ever really opened up to me and, and talked to me about, you know, hey, what works, what what doesn't work, is a kid. You know, when I say a kid, I was a teenager. And and asked my opinion about things, and that blew me away. But to be able to pick the minds of, of people like Ken Mantell and Gary Hart, uh, Wahoo McDaniel, um, just some really, truly great Bill Watts, uh, truly great Creative Minds, Big Cat Ernie Ladd, uh, Buck Robley, as crazy and as short-lived as that was, but to listen to Buck Robley lay out a program was mesmerizing because he, he had a he had a very detail-oriented and, and bizarre but, but great wrestling mind. And to be fortunate enough to be around those guys and actually be able to ask them questions and just kind of keep your your eyes and ears open. That was the advice my brother gave me when he broke into the business and, and I was getting around it was keep your mouth shut and your eyes and ears open. <coughs> and um, that's what I did. But it was, to me, that was my favorite part. My favorite part was to ask why. Why'd you do that? What if you did this? Why you know why him? Why him? And, and different things. And, and some guys would open up, some guys wouldn't. Great advice from uh, Dr. Tom. You know, uh, you know, kind of uh, mouth shut, ears open. You know, kind of always paying attention. Ask why at the right times. But you know, learning a lot from Dr. Tom, who was pretty much a huge underrated legend, whether it be uh, you know his continental days or his awesome run as part of the Heavenly Bodies. Do you know you do look up to uh, Dr. Tom a lot? Yeah, absolutely. I think that Tom is probably the greatest trainer um, in the business. He, he's one of the best trainers that I have ever seen, just one-on-one -on -one with guys. Uh, he has the patience of a saint, uh, at least when he's training uh, newbies. And he just has a way about him and would sacrifice his body for guys. But he, he just knew how to teach in my opinion, and I thought that he had uh, a great run with training some of the, the best talent that the business has ever seen, from Kurt Angle to The Rock. Um, now, the list just kind of goes on and on on a who's who of wrestling. Absolutely, so many guys. And as I start to wind it down a bit here, you know, we were talking before, obviously, about your podcast, Something to Wrestle With, the most popular wrestling podcast and probably the most one of the most popular sports podcasts, depending on the day. I mean, you look at iTunes, you're number one, number two. I mean, you're always in the top ten. But besides the Houston wrestling episode and kind of, you know, maybe excluding the TNA episode because it had so many downloads and, you know, it was kind of breaking records. But what do you think has been your favorite episode so far besides Houston wrestling? Wow. Um... Hmm. May you know maybe the one that we did on Jim Cornette recently because it was it was personal 
and it just flowed. And I, I loved there, – there's so much entertainment value there in Jim Cornette, and there was so much entertainment value with Jim Cornette when he uh, had to make the move to Connecticut that it, it flowed easily. And poor Conrad says to me, he goes, man, he goes, I, I, I don't know where to start in this. I said, man, just – just start talking and give me a time frame, and I'll I'll take it from there. Because you give me a time frame with Jimmy and where we were at the time, and I, I can go off on on where his head was and a funny story. Because there was always something. He just always made me laugh. Uh, sometimes intentionally, most of the time unintentionally, but his rants. And some of his reactions to life in the Northeast were just priceless. And he was early as getting up, son of bitches I've ever met in my life. Getting up, emailing <laughs> son of a bitches, memo writing them, never seen so many memos in all my life. Everybody wants to get up before ten thirty in the morning. What the hell's that? He just he, <laughs> I, I, there was a promo about everything every day. And you were with him in Jersey, in, in my neck of the woods, about a week, week and a half ago, and I know he was complaining a lot uh, that time around as well. Oh, he, I, our table was right next to each other, and we had done uh, one of those videos uh, for Cafe Memories on Houston the night before, and he had a whole script and everything, and we ended up just just talking for two hours to each other, reminiscing. And it was a blast, but then the next day when we were sitting there signing and, and doing our photos and stuff, I, I just laughed so hard, and every once in a while it would be like uh, poking a dog with a sharp stick. I would, you know, get him wound up about something, and he would go off, and I was entertained for the next 30 minutes. <laughs> he... uh he was great that day. He was uh, he was so funny. He's always you know on the ball and he's always got something to say. So I mean, I can imagine him being a great topic. But what did he kind of say uh, that he was a topic of your show? Did he say anything like, "Hey, you know, you know, why are you focusing on me?" Or did he like that you were focusing on him? Well, no, he was cool with it. I mean, it, it was we let our audience vote and and they picked Jim Cornette. So um, he, you know, I told him to listen to it. And tell me what he thought. Uh, he la- he had a rebuttal on on a few of the things, and gave his side of the story. But he he certainly didn't get on Twitter and 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 call me out for anything. Or you know he he actually he actually called me and thanked me, and and said that he goes I haven't listened to it yet, but I've heard an awful lot about it. What did you What did you say about this? I'll kill you. Um, no, and, and I would tell him the story. He's like, son of a bitch, this is what really happened. I said, well, go get on your podcast and tell him what really happened from your point of view, Jimmy. I will, you son of a bitch. And then he would listen to it and realize what people had told him wasn't what I said, and he would laugh about it. But but we laughed the entire weekend um, when we were in New Jersey because we've known each other for, God, since 1983. And, um, you know, we've, we've been friends for, God, what is that, 35 years almost. Um, so I, I know what buttons to push on him. He knows what buttons to push on me. 
and he's entertaining as hell. So it's it's we just kind of get each other wound up and and let him roll from there. But um, Cornette's one of those guys that has a deep passion and love for the business, and I think that his passion and love is for the business of old. And I think sometimes he has a hard time with what the business has evolved into. Um, but hey. You know, there's there's a lot of people that that hate the instant replay rule in football. My God, that's not my football. We had no instant replay back when I played football. And leather helmets, no face masks either. Bunch of pussies. So different time, you know. The world evolves, and you either evolve or you get gobbled up. With uh, Jimmy, obviously with Cornette, you know, he even said I was looking at his Twitter. He even said like. All right, Bruce, you know, you you were pretty fair. Do you ever get, not worked up or anything, but when a guy like Vince Russo or something kind of gets on Twitter and then, you know, he goes crazy, whereas opposed to Cornette was kind of more civil, do you, you know, does that bother you at all? You just laugh it off and say, eh, you know, whatever. You you know, this is my memory, my recollection. You have to laugh it off because, uh, I mean, some of the things that were sent to me, and, and I don't, I'm I'm not one of those people that will sit there and read every little thing. I, I just can't do it, and especially when it's negative, I, I just throw it out. I'm I'm done. Next, um, but you get overwhelmed sometimes with so many people sending you things. And oh, so and so said this, and so and so said that. That you get bits and pieces, and you get a flavor of it. Um, there's there's times when I've I've said things. Oh, I'll give you another example. Abyss. I said something about Abyss, and he sent me a text. Go, hey Bruce, you know the, your opinion was wrong. Blah blah blah. Here's what happened. I said, great. I said I'll share that on the show because that was my opinion. So now you're saying that's not the way it was. I'm going to put your opinion out there because you called me and said, hey, and. Um, he didn't go on a uh, on a Twitter rant and call me names or anything else. And I saw him at TV, and we laughed about it. Um, there's you know different guy. Jim Ross has chuckled at stuff. Steve Austin has chuckled at stuff. Been a good sport. Uh, so um, you have to you have to realize that if you are going to put yourself out in the public and you're going to say things and do things, um, we all live in glass houses. And it's to to come out and, and call people names, and, and that's all you got. Um, to say that uh, to say I'm a, a pill head and an alcoholic, um, you know, I'm gone on record talking about my drug use in the past. Uh, I've you know I've gone on record with all that, so it's like first of all, not new information. I've never been an alcoholic. I've never been to rehab. Um, did I used to like to take pills a lot? You better believe it. Did I smoke a lot of dope? Yep. Did I drink a lot of beer? Uh, yep. Um, had a good time. So I live in a glass house, and I'm not going to throw stones. And uh, that's just the way it is. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't bother me. It, it really doesn't because I'm. I'm secure in in who I am, what I am, and what I've accomplished and what I've done in this business. And after 44 years, I'll, I'll put my resume up against anybody that, that wants to put their resume up against me. And there's some with, there, there are people out there with a uh, resume that will blow mine out of the water. But there's also some that, that can't stand up next to it, um, that maybe had, you know, two years of glory and 
then what? Uh, I think I've done fairly well, and I'm, I'm proud of the accomplishments and, and what I've done in the business, and, and I love it. And uh, I'm, I'm proud to, to still be able to be a part of it and be able to be active in, in a business that I truly love. And the best part about you is that, you know, with Cornette or Russo or Jim Ross or Austin or Bischoff, you know, you're the Eric big Bischoff, dog. another one. I did one on him. Yeah. And and he he did it. He he called me. We laughed about it. We talked about it. And he says, "Oh hey, yeah, this." I said, "I said, Eric." I said, "Again, my opinion, my viewpoint." And he and he said, "Would you mind if I if I give another viewpoint on my show?" I said, "Dude, it's your show. I would I would hope you would." I said, be, "Just be sure and plug mine while you're doing it." He says, "Of course," but you know, I mean, that's <laughs> there's a difference. And, and there were, there were people that said, "Oh, you were unfair to Bischoff," and and Eric. On the other hand, I said, no, I thought you were really fair. I thought it was good. Cornette, same thing. Um, so different strokes, different folks. It is great that you do that because, let's be honest I me, mean, you're the big dog on the block now. You don't have to say, okay, it's all right for you guys to come back. It's great you kind of have that attitude. It's like, well, this is you know my viewpoint. Well, you can say yours, and maybe you all come on your show and I'll do this. So I think that's great of you because um, it really shows it's like, you know, there's no, um, you know, there's no pussyfooting around. If you want to say your side of the story, that's fine. And there's no animosity there between any of you guys. No, there, there, there really hasn't been, and, and I, I really and truly have no idea with, with Russo because I, I, I won't dignify any of the responses that I've seen with an answer, and, and just the responses have, have been so crazy that I, you know, I'm next, uh, there's, there's nothing there. So, <laughs> to, to respond and give it credibility does just that, give it credibility, and it has none. So. Absolutely, you're right. And you, you, you got to yeah. just you, you got to be able to. Um, 1987, Joel Watts left uh, the WWF, and and I just stepped into the role of of producer and and kind of taking over all the things of television. And the vice Vince gave me. He goes, man. He says, good God. He goes, you just let things just roll off like a duck. He goes, you just let things roll off your shoulders. You don't get flustered. And I said, I don't have time. I don't have time to be flustered. And at the time, it, things were moving so fast, you could sit there and dwell on negatives all day long. And I, I've just recently adopted the philosophy, and, and, and Conrad and I talk all the time. I'm doing things I never would have done um, in the last year, and, and it's proven to, to work out pretty good for me so far. So I, I'm I'm trying on things and uh, I'm enjoying life and having fun and <laughs> at this age if you're not having fun uh, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, and, and it's great all the different topics on the wrestle is obviously the number one podcast. Whether it's the Monday Night Wars or my personal favorite topic, you might think I'm crazy for this one. But the Lex Express and the Lex Luger push of '93. You know that was that was one of the early ones that we did, and yeah. it was it, it's funny how things evolved. Uh, I got a call to do the live show at Jimmy's uh, famous seafood in Baltimore, and on the Lex Express, that's what I remembered from the Lex Express was when we finally got rid of Lex in Baltimore. And the, the bus was going back to Stanford. 
And Lex didn't want to go out with us because Lex didn't like staying on the bus. He wanted to stay in Marriott's. So after a few days with him on the bus, everybody was so happy when he would get off the bus. But that last night before we before we went on the overnight trip back home, we went to Jenny's Famous Seafood. This was back when John's dad was still alive and, and running it. And we, Lex was like, ugh, crab, and ugh, I don't want to get my fingers off. I'll have my dry chicken and, and dry pasta at the Marriott. Um, but we had such a blast because it was just me, Bob Collins, and a couple crew guys and the bus driver. And drinking beer and eating crabs and having a blast. And it was Jimmy's Famous Seafood. And so when he called me, I said, dude, I will come back just for the crab cakes. Because I remember it. I remembered it that night, how good it was. And I used to send people out. But you talk about the Lex Express. The little things you remember. That was one thing I remembered was Lex wanted off that bus so bad. Crazy. And we were so happy when he got off. And that we went out and <laughs> had, like, you know, crabs and beer. So, yeah, one thing it's, I do, it's funny. That is crazy. And one thing that I noticed about your show, and that sticks out to me the most, possibly, is you may be the best impression guy in the business, whether you know whether it's just a simple one or whether it's Jim Cornette or whether it's Dusty. You have the, the best impressions. Well, I, I, you know, I... I always like to say I don't do impressions, I do caricatures because it's, you know, Dusty's probably the closest thing I'll do to an impression, but still, to me, it's it's just more of a caricature than anything else and where I take it over the top, you know, with the with the Vince ones and Cornette. Well, goddamn, I'll kill everybody. And uh, and then it's it's really like on Cornette, it's, it's more me doing an impression of Jim Cornette doing me doing him. I don't sound like that, you son of a bitch. So it's just uh, kind of funny, but uh, yeah, it's 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 more of a character than than anything else. Now, if I could just ask, you know, you've been part of so many famous angles, obviously in the WWF for twenty two years, in the wrestling business for about forty. I mean, you've been, you know, you've been there, you've done that, you've seen it all. Do you have a favorite moment or kind of maybe a favorite angle that you were able to be a part of or even maybe you were able to contribute backstage? I think, you know, overall, the, the whole Kane and um, Undertaker story, uh, ju- just both of those guys being able to cr- create those characters and, and the stories that that told their story throughout the years are my two favorites. Quite possibly the greatest story to ever be told on pro wrestling television is the Kane and Undertaker story, which unfortunately may have come to an end this past year, but uh, always waiting for that next chapter to uh, to emerge. But, Bruce, this has been absolutely unbelievable, and we got to just bring it back to Slammiversary on July 2nd, live on pay-per-view, the huge main event of Lashley versus El Patron. I think everybody who has been invested in this return of impact or this make impact great again really is excited for this pay-per-view and is definitely uh, waiting on the edge of their seat for July 2nd. It's always fun to look forward to a pay-per-view again. But please, lastly, just, could you just give us one more pitch for Slammiversary and tell the fans what it is we have to look forward to with this 15th anniversary of Impact? Well, it's it, you know what? It's the rebirth, in my opinion, of Impact Wrestling. And if you kind of got away from Impact, 
check it out because it's, like I said, the very first day for the rest of their lives for Impact. And you're going to see new champions, and you're going to see new championships born and be able to get a new direction and a new creative force moving forward. And it's kind of going to be just like I said, you know, it's the first day of the rest of their lives. So give it a shot and check it out. And I'm especially looking forward forward to, like I said, Bobby and uh, Alberto El Patron. Also looking forward to seeing EC3 and James Storm just beat the hell out of each other, which uh, I think that James Storm has a few receipts for EC3. So that should be interesting as well. <laughs> he said it on air with us that uh, we've seen him be able to take the beating so now it's time for him to go out and give the beating back to uh, to EC3. But, again, Slammiversary is July 2nd on pay-per-view. We cannot freaking wait for that day to come. But, Bruce, it's been literally unreal. I, I can't believe we were able to go into so much detail. But please send the listeners and the fans of the two-man power trip your way and where they can find everything going on in the world of Bruce Pritchard. Well, you can check us out over at MLWRadio.com, something to wrestle with, Bruce Pritchard. We drop every Friday at noon. On Twitter, I'm at Bruce Pritchard. The show is at Pritchard Show, and my co-host Conrad Thompson is at Hey Hey, It's Conrad. And remember, do not put a T in my name, but you can put one on your back over at BrucePritchard.com with the greatest T-shirts anywhere in the wrestling world, by God. <laughs> And, Bruce, I think it's uh, pretty simple to end it by saying that we definitely love you. So thank you so much for uh, spending this time with us tonight, and, uh, and all the best. Guys, thank you so much. I apologize for being late, but uh, thanks for putting up with me, and great interview. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.